Hey there, Grace and peace to you all. It's Captain Roger from the Grass Valley Corps here in beautiful Grass Valley, California. Uh, just wanted to uh, share a quick word with you before we uh, start. Um, I have been on vacation all week, and as a result, I don't feel that I prepared enough to speak about the next passage and act. So we're going to take care of that next week. But we still have a little something to talk about today, uh, throwing stones. Now, before we start, I'm going to read a passage. It's an odd passage from the Christian scriptures. I call it odd because it doesn't belong, and yet it does. Um, not all of the early manuscripts have this story in there, even though many of the early church leaders attest to the truth of what happened. Now, we keep it in John chapter 8, at least mostly, even though it is sometimes found in other sections or even other Gospels. Now, for all that confusion, this is a familiar story, which reminds us of a particularly important point. So, flip to John chapter 8, if you haven't done so already, and I will read to you verses 2 through 11. I'm reading today from the New International Version 2011 edition, which is the one we generally use for our day-to-day -day scripture. John 8, verses 2 through 11. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery, and they made her stand before the group. And they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. And Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Let's open with a word of prayer. Lord, as we look into your word today, lead us in the direction that you would have us go. Teach us to walk as Jesus did so that we can be good representatives of you in a world that needs to know about your love. Thank you, Father, for all this and everything that you do for each one of us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Now, uh, my name is Roger. I am a, a captain here at the Salvation Army's Grass Valley Corps, and I suspect most of you know that. I have been married to my lovely wife and partner, Captain Bridget, for just over 32 years, and probably a few of you knew that. I used to make a living doing mime and street performing. I bet some of you already knew that too, though. So let me try to share something you might not know about me. I was born and grew up in Washington State. Have you ever been there? Washington, particularly western Washington, is a beautiful place. It is the evergreen state, you know. That was some marketing guy's genius brainstorm to explain why it's always raining there. Instead of saying, it's the state where it rains every day, they just say, oh, it's the evergreen state. And that lures tourists into coming to visit because it sounds so much nicer that way. Despite the rain, however, it is an outdoors kind of state. And when you live there, particularly in the area around Seattle where I grew up, 
going out hiking, camping, and the like, it's practically a state-sponsored religious activity. Really. You would think that if you didn't spend at least one weekend a month out hiking and camping, they'd send the state police to your house to write you like a laziness ticket. Sir, I understand you stayed home and watched TV this weekend. Is that correct? I'm sorry, that's a violation of the Washington Fresh Air Requirement Act of 1967. I'm afraid I'm going to have to ask you to come with me. And then instead, instead of taking you to jail, they'd take you out in the woods and leave you there until you could find your way home. Right, maybe it's not really that extreme. What I do know, though, is when I was a kid, obviously it's been a while, but when I was a kid, my family spent as much time as possible out in the woods. I remember this one time we were at some lake or other up on mountainside, and this wasn't the middle of nowhere kind of campground my folks usually chose. Instead, we were at like a crowded little KOA, uh, Campgrounds of America, where you pitch your tent on this little square of grass that looked more like a golf green than a campsite. But the lake was really cool. It was one of those uh, big glacier-fed pools, and it was smooth, and it was still, and it had that deep blue color that only icy cold water has. And it had the most amazing shoreline. Instead of sand or grass or mud or any of that, the whole side of the lake was made up of these awesome, flat, round stones about the size of your palm. They were heavy, but not too heavy for a ten-year-old boy to whip out into the lake. That boy was me, by the way. At ten, I was a champion rock skipper at least in my own mind, and on this lake, I was getting between 16 and 20 skips out of each rock easy. And there were these other kids around watching, trying to make their rocks skip, but they kept throwing them straight into the water, and they'd just go right, right in, not skip at all. So finally, one kid came up to me, and he said, oh, can you show me how to make rocks skip like you did? And I said, oh, sure. And I showed him how you got to pick just the right rock. It can't be too round. It can't be too thin. It can't be too heavy. It can't be too light. It's got to be just right. And I showed him how you have to make it spin and when you throw it, because if it's not spinning, it's not going to bounce back off the surface of the water for you. And after a little practice, he was really starting to get it. And we started running back and forth all over the shore while the sun was setting, trying to see if we could find just the perfect rock to go skipping across that water forever. And that's when I saw it. The red gold light of the dying sun lit it up like a spotlight had been focused on it just for me to see. It was so round and so smooth and so perfectly shaped. It was almost like God had made this rock specifically to fit in my hand. And it was getting darker and my arm was kind of tired, but I knew, I knew that with this perfect rock, I would be able to make the throw to end all throws and retire for the night as the undefeated skipping champion of the campground. Oh, yeah. So, I darted over to where that prized stone was perched near the water's edge, and I bent down to grab it with a cry of victory, and I stood up with my treasure in my hand, just in time to see my new friend release a hard-thrown stone straight towards the lake. It was an amazingly good throw. Probably his best of the night. It sailed straight and true, and if it had hit the surface of the water, it probably would have been a great set of skips, maybe even good enough to cross all the way to the far shore of the lake, maybe. But his hope of scoring that victory was dashed 
when his rock hit something on the way to the water. My head. Somehow, I had gotten so focused on how I needed to be better than him that I hadn't realized I'd run right between him and the lake, and so uh, he, he had been focused, too. He'd been focused on getting the best throw in, so focused that he didn't see me until he let go. Throwing stones is a very self-centered activity, isn't it? And for myself and this kid, whose name I had never bothered to learn, it was strictly a contest with each of us trying to best the other by throwing every rock just a little harder than the one before. Now, Jesus preached about God's love and God's mercy, but he also preached about our need to repent. Uh, repent is one of those church words that gets used wrong a lot, so let me tell you what I mean by that. To repent literally means to turn around or to turn back towards something. So when Jesus said we needed to repent, what he was saying is that people need to stop focusing on walking their own path, and instead they need to turn back towards the way that God has for them. And while Jesus was busy preaching his message of love and mercy, a group of people pushed their way to the front of the crowd, and they thrust a woman out in front of them. She was taken in the very act of adultery, they crowed at him. The law of Moses says she must be executed. It, it does, you know. Adultery, sleeping with someone you're not married to, that's mentioned several times in the laws that God passed on to his people through Moses. He's against it. It's not the way he built people to work and having sex with someone who was made for someone else. It's destructive, hurtful, and stirs up strong emotions that can't be fixed with a quick apology or a band-aid. The family of God was supposed to avoid it. Because part of being in God's family is living out your life as a role model, teaching people what it means to strive to be the best by putting out the effort to be the best you can be. And in some areas, any failure was so great, so destructive to so many people that an example was supposed to be made. If an unmarried couple was found to be having sex, they were immediately and forcibly married with no option for divorce. And if married people were found straying in a similar manner, the guilty parties were to be taken outside the walls of the city and stoned to death. I'm not saying we should do that now, all right? but that's the way things were. Okay. Now, Jesus, he's been out preaching love and mercy, and these religious leaders saw that as an opportunity to trap him. If he said that they should show mercy to the adulteress that they dragged before him, then they would be able to say, oh, that Jesus guy, he's rejecting the words of God. God said sin must be dealt with, and Jesus is saying, ah, just ignore it. And then if he said that she should be stoned, they would not only be able to say, well, he failed to live up to his own standards, the things he was teaching, but they would then be able to also report him to the Roman government as an instigator, someone who pushed for mob justice over Roman law. So they thought they had him trapped because they only offered him two choices. But as Jesus did so often when confronted by two choices or two sides of an issue or two warring camps, each trying to defend some invisible line that they had drawn between them, he chose the third option. Let the sinless one among you throw the first stone. See, he meets their demand for justice. He agrees that justice must be served. Yes, he says, she deserves the full penalty of the law. So examine your life, and if you don't have a similar penalty hanging over your head, go ahead and serve her up. If no one has the right to throw a rock at you, go ahead and throw that rock at her. 
Now, we're often told that wisdom comes with age. I, I don't know if that's true or not. But what I do know is the longer I live, the more aware I am of my own shortcomings. The more I go on, the more I am aware of the hurt I have inflicted on those around me, and the more I can see myself and my own choices and the things that others choose to do. The scriptures tell us that the oldest of the accusers slipped away first. One by one, they made their way back through the crowd while Jesus scribbled in the dirt with his finger, and the woman stood silent in her shame. One by one, the crowd melted into the growing shadows until it was just the two of them. And Jesus stood, and he caught her eye. Where are your accusers? he asked. Hasn't anyone condemned you? What happened to all those people who are so anxious to throw stones? Throwing stones, like I said, it's a self-centered activity. It's easy to do. You don't even need a rock. All you need to do is keep your eyes fixed on your own greatness and the flaws of the world. They just become obvious. That guy cut in line. Thwack. I can't believe he would say that to me. Thwack. How dare she take the last piece of cake. Thwack. Who elected that idiot? Thwack. Your mind is like a sling. It just whirls around and around. It's loaded with stones that you're just aching to release. He talked down to me. She dissed me. That was mine. It's your fault that I did what I did. Those are all stones that we throw. We treat the world as if it were filled with enemies that we need to strike down. We fire off stones of blame as if we can prove ourselves sinless by saying that others are at fault or that their faults are somehow greater than our own. And it's nothing new, you know. All the way back in the garden, back in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve ate the fruit that God warned them not to, some of the first stones got thrown. God said, did you eat from the tree I told you not to? And Adam threw two stones of blame as hard as he could. It was the woman's fault. Thwack. And you, thwack, gave her to me. And when the creator turned to Eve, she had her own stone out and flying right away. It was the serpent. We're so sure that if we can throw stones at others, no one will look at us. But Jesus is looking. If you've never sinned, you can throw that stone. But you have. We all have, haven't we? Where are your accusers, Jesus asked. He looked right at the woman they had brought before him. Has no one condemned you? No, Lord, she said. Well, then neither do I. Well, wait a minute, why not? Didn't he have the right... Wasn't she guilty? Well, yes, but that's not what he was here for. In fact, Jesus had already spelled out exactly why he was here in a conversation with a man called Nicodemus, a Jewish leader who had come to him in the dark of night months before this confrontation. This is what Jesus told him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but will have eternal life. Have you heard that? Yeah, but that's only the beginning of what Jesus said. From there, he went on to say, For God didn't send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. See, Jesus wasn't here to throw stones. He was here to teach us not to. As I thought about what I wanted to say today, I found myself all too aware of how often I want to throw stones. 
How often I try to distract from my own failings by pointing out those of others. How often I want to take that hard, cold chunk of anger or bitterness that I feel and just hurl it back at those who I think are responsible for it. How often I want to take my hurts and pack them down into that perfectly round, perfectly smooth, well-weighted stone that I can then send spinning off through the darkness to inflict that pain or embarrassment that I feel on those that I think deserve it. But when I pause and I think, let those without sin cast the first stone, I have to acknowledge that I'm not one of them. I've caused the same kind of hurt, the same anger, the same bitterness. I've given others the same cause to blame me that I want to believe that I have to blame them. So I think I'm going to try something new. When I find myself holding a stone with my arm cocked back, ready to throw, I think I'm going to try putting it down instead. And I hope that's something that you're willing to try too. Pray with me. Father God, thank you for making stones that we can use to skip across the water in celebration of life and creation that you have given to each of us. And thank you for putting all these other people into our lives so that we can throw those joyful stones together. Please, Lord, help us learn to be careful of what kind of stones we pick up and where we choose to throw them. Remind us all that any stone we want to throw at another is one that could very well be flying back at us. Thank you for using your son Jesus to teach us that we can put down our stones and live in mercy instead. In the name of that same Jesus we pray. Amen. Hey, remember, wherever you go, God is already there, so you have nothing to fear. Grace and peace to each and every one of you today.